Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us, and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. It has been well said that imitation is the greatest form of flattery. It's been probably about 13 years or so ago, back when I was pastor at Windsor Baptist Church, that our oldest daughter decided to move a chair up to the pulpit one day after service. And I know some of you are panicking, but I warned my kids before I used them as a sermon illustration. She knew it was coming. So worship service was over. Everybody was standing around and talking. A little four-year-old Kanija boosted herself up with a chair, got into the pulpit, and began to lecture. It was met with equal parts amazement and amusement. It was shocking enough that she had just ensconced herself as the first and only woman preacher in the history of that church, but also because she was just barely out of the toddler stage, she didn't know a whole lot of Bible to expound, and so without any notes to help her, she began to proclaim the good news that was closest to her heart, her favorite children's show. She raised her hand, she opened her mouth, and out came the the gospel of Blue's Clues. You can do anything that you want to do. I know, wrong in so many ways, right? The whole episode probably unfolded over the course of about 30 seconds, but it was memorable. Um, There's not been a repeat performance But it was abundantly obvious to everyone involved what motivated the incident. Uh, A child who is loved by their father and who loves their father is likely to imitate what it is that they see their father do. Listen to Paul in verse 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Just focus in on that word follower for a moment. It's a Greek word that's actually going to sound kind of familiar to you. Mimites. It's where we get our English word mimic from. Most modern translations here will read, be imitators of God. It's the same word that Paul uses, for example, in in 1 Corinthians 11.1 when he says, be followers of me even as I am of Christ. That is, you do what I do as long as what I'm doing is what Jesus does. And so just like that, with only a handful of words, the Apostle Paul issues what is possibly the highest standard in all of Scripture. It is a calling that is too high to attain, and yet it is too clear to ignore. You cannot have a higher bar set than this. Here is the sum total of Christian duty. Just imitate God the Father. Throughout this letter, Paul has already told us the astounding works of God the Father on our behalf. Back in chapter 1, verse 3, he has blessed us 
with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. In chapter 1, verse 17, the Father of glory has given us wisdom and revelation and knowledge. In chapter 3, verse 15, He is the Father of this massive family of believers in heaven and earth. In chapter 4, verse 6, He is God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in us all. And having painted that glorious image of the Father, he now simply says, okay, y'all do that. Just be like God. This command also comes directly in the middle of moral instructions. Think back into Ephesians chapter 4 where, where Paul said, just like changing clothes, you have to put off the old man and put on the new man, right? To, to reject sin because every sin you commit gives an advantage to Satan and it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. He mentions back in chapter 4 lying and anger and wicked speech and, and more. And then right after these two verses of our text, he's going to pick right back up with that moral instruction with very similar language in verse 3 about putting away sexual immorality, impurity, and greed that shouldn't even be named among the church. Now we'll deal with that in, in future weeks, but I want you to know, at least for now, the reason why you have these similar lists at the end of chapter 4 and into chapter 5 is Paul is dealing with personal holiness and then he's dealing with corporate holiness. But in the middle of all that, this is a very... Trinitarian holiness that Paul's calling us to. Right back in chapter 4, verse 20, you are to learn Christ. In verse 30, you are to not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now in verse 1, you have to imitate the Father. And I know the word Father is not in verse 1, but it is more than implied when he uses the words dear children. Very simply, the message of verses 1 and 2 in Ephesians chapter 5 is... As you love the Father and are loved by the Father, you'll satisfy Him by imitating His love towards others. I want to see this in three steps. First, the command. Be ye therefore followers of God. Now I hope you know you're not God. And if you know that, you already know that the command to imitate God is going to be impossible in many ways. And in systematic theology, we talk about the attributes of God, those, those things which make up God's character, and we divide them into two groups. We call them the communicable attributes of God and the incommunicable attributes of God. The incommunicable attributes of God are those character traits which are exclusive to God alone. Humanity is unable to imitate the incommunicable attributes of God. These are things like God's omnipresence. God is everywhere at all times. You can't be. It wouldn't even make sense for me to tell you, why don't you be omnipresent now? Right? God is omniscient. He knows everything. And you, even if you study really hard, are never going to know everything. God is immutable. That is, He is unchanging. 
But you are changing all the time. I know this because I've known some of y'all for quite a while. However, the communicable attributes of God are those character traits of his which humans can possess in some degree. Obviously, it's not, you're not going to possess them to the degree that God himself does. But there are some of the essential attributes of God and his nature which you can emulate, you can imitate. Let me give you some examples. In several places in Leviticus, for example, Leviticus 11 verse 44, it says, You shall be holy as I am holy. The Apostle Peter actually quotes this in the New Testament in 1 Peter 1, 15. He says, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So how are you doing imitating or duplicating the holiness of God? Not quite there yet, right? The communicable attributes of God, it is fair to say, we're not going to exhibit them to the same extent or quality that God himself does. But we are commanded to copy him, right? Be holy, for I am holy. That holiness is what I call the divine otherness of God. He is separate. He is unlike humanity. He cannot be and is unwilling to be touched by sin. And so the calling of his children is to emulate that holiness. We are to be separate from the world. We are to be untouched by sin (coughs) if that one's not difficult enough let's try out the words of jesus in the sermon on the mount in matthew 5 verse 48 jesus said actually just go ahead and turn there matthew 5 leave a bookmark in ephesians of course but matthew 5 verse 48 Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Are you as perfect as God the Father? Well, of course not, nor will you be anytime soon. Thankfully, the word Jesus uses for perfect here is the idea of mature, complete. You're not to be immature. You're not to be incomplete in imitating the ways of God the Father. Look more closely at the entire text there. Back up to verse 43 in Matthew 5. You have heard that it's been said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes his sun to shine on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brothers only, what do you more than others? Do not even publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect right in this case jesus is calling us to love our enemies even to the extent of doing good for them because that's our heavenly father's example 
right? He doesn't send rain to flower your field and leave your wicked neighbors in a drought. The, the light doesn't come up and, and, and shine on your path and leave your enemy in the dark. God is good to all, and we are called to imitate God's goodness to all. Be complete by loving your enemies. <clears throat> we could give more examples of this, like Luke 6.36, be merciful as your Father is merciful. But I want to be clear that the Bible tells us that the way to imitate, the way to emulate God, the Father, is by being conformed to God the Son. Jesus is the perfect expression of the Father. He is the divine word, the very communication of God. He is the brightness of God's glory. He is the express image of God's person. Jesus, God the Son, did and said nothing except exactly what the God the Father would do and say. <clears throat> Only by emulating the Son will we imitate the Father. By being like Jesus, we will walk like He walked and we'll be holy as He's holy. We'll be forgiving as He's forgiving. We'll be merciful like He's merciful. We'll be perfect just like our Father in Heaven is perfect by duplicating the perfect life of His perfect Son. That's exactly what Paul is saying in our text here in Ephesians 5. <clears throat> it's why he tells the Ephesians to be imitators of the Father. And he tells the church at Corinth to imitate me as long as I'm imitating Christ. Even though we'll never be perfectly like him in this life, we'll never exhibit all those communicable attributes of God in their fullness. That's still our calling. And one day, John says, we will get it right. We will see Jesus face to face. And when we do that, we will be like him for we'll see him as he is. This is the simple command. Be followers of God. <clears throat> if you like the word mimic, go ahead and use that and think of it that way. If you prefer something else like imitate or emulate or replicate or duplicate, the, the command is unchanging. Be like your father. That's the command. Second, I want you to see the means of this command. The means. Again, be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has also loved us. There's a connection to be made here between these words that isn't readily obvious to us in English. I think most of you are familiar with the Greek word agape, which means love. There are several forms of that word in this text. Just in that little, those phrases I read, starting at verse 1, be followers of God as agape ta, children, and walk in agape as Christ has also agape sen, us. Right? These are the connections that Paul wants us to make. This, this dear children is saying that you are beloved children. You are dearly loved children. Do you imitate your father because you love him? Well, yeah, sure, okay. 
But that's not the root cause. That's not the motivating factor. Paul says your dedication to be like your father isn't so much out of your love for the father alone. It's because you are dearly beloved by the father. Listen to me. (laughs) This makes a huge difference. It's an important distinction. John says we love him because he first loved us, right? He's the source. This is partially why the New Testament calls the children of God and gives a a distinction of two distinct ways we become children of God. The the father-child dynamic in the New Testament is expressed through the idea of being Born into the family of God, right? You're given new life. You are born again into God's family. But it is also illustrated by being adopted into the family of God. Because He chose me. He set His love on me. Not out of duty or obligation or accident, but by choice. You are a dear child. You are a beloved child. Now get this, Paul's not just dropping this imitate God like a truth bomb that comes out of nowhere. I know it can feel that way a little bit. He's actually been setting you up for this. I'm convinced this is the high point of the letter. He knew this is where he's going and he's been working this angle for a while. I say that because it's reflected in what Paul has already told us about the Father. Look back at chapter 1 for just a moment to remind yourself of how he started. In chapter 1, we'll pick up at verse 4. Just verse 3. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us, in him from before the foundation of the world that we should be holy because he's holy and without blame before him in love, in agape, having predestinated us, you listening to this, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. And why did he do this? Because he wanted to. It's according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved that is he has made us acceptable in Christ Jesus his beloved child in other words the father who has one perfect holy child the only begotten son has out of nothing but love adopted children into his family and calls us in our text Dear children, beloved children, just like his beloved son Jesus. See what I mean? That Paul has been working this angle for a while. When you know the love of the Father that he has chosen to show you, calling you my beloved children, then how can you not love him in return? How can you not find that worthy of imitating? That's what our text is saying this morning. The fact that the Father has set his love on us and adopted us invariably invariably leads us to this simple, practical application. Imitate him. 
Be like him. Conduct your life as a, a living, breathing expression of the Father's love. Right? This is what Paul says. Imitate God as beloved children walk in love. This walk isn't talking about a sidewalk you travel down. It's, it's talking about a path you follow. It's, it's talking about a, a, a manner of life. Again, he's been using that term for a while. Back in chapter 2, verse 2, you walked according to the course of this world, following Satan like the rest of the children of disobedience. And chapter 2, verse 10, you're God's masterpiece and he has foreordained that you should walk in good works. In chapter 4, verse 1, walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. In verse 17, don't walk like others walk in the vanity of their minds and their empty thinking. That's not our manner of life. Our manner of life is love. Because it's only God's love that has given us life. So explaining how to walk worthy or to walk in love here from our text, he's going to keep using that word walk. Down in verse 8, he's going to say walk as children of light. In verse 15, he's going to say walk circumspectly or walk wisely. Imitate God, Paul says. Though you cannot duplicate his incommunicable attributes. And even those communicable attributes you're not going to exhibit perfectly, yet still imitate him. Be holy like him. Be forgiving like him. Be merciful like him. But most specifically, be loving like him. Imitate God as children who are loved walk in love. So the command, imitate God, the means, walk in love. Third, I want you to see the example. The example is Christ. It's always Christ. You are not called to emulate even the best of believers. That would be too low of a target. Imitate David from the Old Testament. Imitate Abraham. Imitate John. Imitate Paul. Paul does say, Follow me, right? Imitate me. But he gives a qualification. Only as long as I'm doing what Jesus does. To be perfect like the Father, you have to be perfect like his Son. So look at our text again. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ has also loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. The text gives us a couple of things at once here. First off, by saying, as Christ also has loved us, it shows there is, there is no division between the love of the Father and the love of the Son. The Lord Jesus, God the Son, loves us just as God the Father loves us. The other thing this does is makes a clear statement about the nature of love. Christ didn't just love us with mushy feelings. right? He gave himself for us, Paul says. Christian love is not about feelings, or more specifically, it's not primarily about feelings. It is sacrificial 
action. That is what love is. That is, it is the act of giving to others that represents a genuine loss to yourself in the process. Some of you are well versed in the definition I like to use for biblical love. It's not original to me, but here it is. Love is that which deeply desires and actively seeks the best for its object, even at great personal cost. Now, is there emotion involved in that? Of course, but emotion without action is not love. The Father loved us and he acted on that love. Think of it this way. For God so loved the world, that is, he so deeply desired and actively sought the best for the world, that even at great personal cost, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Father's love is sacrificial. It gave for the best of those that he set his love upon. The Son loved us and acted on that love. This is, Paul says, Christ also has loved us and gave himself for us. And this becomes a pattern. This act of love becomes a pattern for what true love is. Later on in this chapter, in verse 25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Love is active. It is self-sacrificial. It is doing something for the best of someone else that costs you in the process. Why does that matter? I mean, so what if God's love is self-sacrificial? Because that's what you and I are called to emulate. (laughs) Imitate God. Look at what he says in the text. Emulate God, right? Imitate God as children who are loved Walk in love as Christ loved us. This is why John, the apostle of love, writes in 1 John 3.18, Little children, let us not love in words and speeches, but in actions and truth. Again, remember the context here. This is right in the middle of this, this long set of moral principles, mandates that Paul has given for The church at Ephesus, this is how you have to behave. And each one of those exemplifies self-sacrificial love. In chapter 4, verse 2, you are not going to assert yourself. You're going to be patient with others. In chapter 4, verse 25, you're going to sacrifice that tempting lie that you want to tell. And you're going to speak the truth in love. In verse 28, you're not going to feed the greed of stealing. You're going to work hard. And the reason you're going to work hard is so that you can give to someone who needs it. In verse uh, 29 in chapter 4, you're you're going to hold back those angry explosions of wrath and only speak to others in words that are intent to build them up. Verse 32, you're going to freely forgive even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. To drive home the sacrificial nature of true love, Paul decides what we need is a good dose of Old Testament theology. 
And it might seem strange at first, but listen to what he says in verse 2. Walk in love as Christ has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. In the Old Testament, Leviticus outlines five sacrificial offerings to the Lord. And the first three were said to be greatly pleasing to God. They were the, the burnt offering, which represented the, the perfection of Jesus. The grain offering, which represented the complete dedication of Jesus. The peace offering, which represented the, the peacemaking work of Jesus. God said that when those things were offered, it was a sweet-smelling savor. It was a soothing aroma. That term became an expression for God's acceptance of the offering as well as his pleasure that was found in the heart of the person who was making that offering. And yet each of those offerings was only a shadow. It was a type. It was a an example of the work of Christ. And so in verse 2, you see the, the offering and sacrifice of Jesus is infinitely more pleasing to God than any old sacrifice that was made. And now, Paul uses that as an example for us to follow. Listen, you're not, Paul's not saying you need to go back to Leviticus and read up on that. It, it wouldn't hurt to do it. He's not saying you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna study that because you have to offer a, a burnt offering and a grain offering and a peace offering. That is not how we're going to please God. We will please him by following the self-sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. Look again at what he says in verse 2. And let me stress some important little words. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. What Jesus did and what we are to follow was an act of love that was for the benefit of others. And so Paul says this, for us. But the ultimate goal of that sacrifice was to the glory of God. It was, Paul says, to God. Now you can see an example of what Paul's picturing. Actually, we have time, so turn over to Philippians chapter 4 for a moment. The church at Philippi is not a wealthy church. They sent some money to the Apostle Paul for the support of his ministry. It was a sacrifice. It was an act of love. It, it took from them to give to him. And Paul says in verse 18 of Philippians chapter 4, But I have all and abound and am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a, sacrificial, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So they had sent this financial assistance to Paul, and Paul says that he had received the offering that they had sent to him 
but that in the process, it was an odor of a sweet smell that was a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. In other words, the church had acted in love by sending financial help for his ministry. And what they offered was for Paul, but it was a sacrifice to God for his glory, which God found acceptable. If we would imitate the Father, it's because we know that he loves us and we go forward as living, breathing expressions of his love, following the example of Jesus himself, who did the same thing, Paul says, for them and to God, right? This is the for them, to God mentality. Because he loves us, we follow his example in love, giving from ourselves for others' good to him. Like, I, I, can't, I can't do something today to literally hand something to the Father, but what Paul's saying is if you, if you live in love, if you sacrifice of yourself to do good for others, even as you're giving it for them, it is a gift to God. And when we do this, the Father who loves us will be pleased with us. And so as you love the Father and are loved by the Father, you will satisfy Him by imitating His love toward others. It's not an easy calling. Just be like God. But it's the command of the New Testament. It is the totality of the Christian life. Imitate the Father by imitating the Son. Do good for others. It's to his glory. You're reflecting his love. You're being like your Father. You're imitating God.